Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. It feels so crazy to say this. But welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I can't believe it's 2022 already. I feel like the last two months have been a little bit of a time warp. There have been so many things that have happened. We launched an app publicly. We got two courses up there, celebrated the holidays, saw my family, saw my husband's family. Like There was so much that happened. Took a trip to Montana. And here it is, a brand new year. And I am honestly so excited and so thrilled for what this year is going to bring. I hope already this year has brought you good things and that there are many, many more waiting around the corner for us. Before we get started, I think I've mentioned in previous podcasts that as a recovering perfectionist, something that I do is I don't start my New Year's resolutions on January 1st. I either start them a little bit before the new year or I start them a little bit after the new year so that I don't feel that pressure to be perfect in my growth, perfect in keeping whatever my resolution is or my intention for growth. And so this year, I actually started really pondering over the new year and what I wanted to accomplish at the beginning of December. One of the traditions I've developed for myself around the new year is I often first start by celebrating what went well for the year that just passed. Too often we forget to celebrate what we've already done. We forget to sit and bask in the acknowledgement of the growth we've already accomplished, all of the things we've learned, all of the things we've overcome, the difficulties we've experienced and survived. And so... That's what I did with myself is I sat first and wrote a letter to my past self, not just myself over the year, but myself over the past 41 years of my life and really acknowledged the growth, the things I've learned, the challenges I've overcome, the ways that I've become stronger and the ways that I love and trust myself more. It's a ritual I love to do to take my current self and to speak to my past self and to give her the kindness, the acceptance, the celebration that she deserves. Once I've done that, my next tradition is to imagine that I have already accomplished everything in my life, that I am at the very end of my life, looking back on who I am now, and what would I tell myself? What would that version of me that is at the end of her life tell myself now? And I might cry, but one of the things that came up this year was to remind myself that I am enough now, that I am worthy now. Now, this is something I've been working on for years and I've made a lot of headway, and yet 
It's still something I need to be reminded of. And I think a lot of us coming from high demand religion, high demand family systems, and even just Western culture that puts so much emphasis on how much we produce, how much we achieve. I think it's so important to remind ourselves that our worth is internal that it is our birthright. It's something that we come to this earth with. It can't be taken away from us. It is just who we are. We are valuable because we exist as a unique expression of life and intelligence. It's not something we earn, and it's not something that can be taken away from us. No matter how much trauma we experience, no matter how many difficulties, no matter how many bad decisions we make, We are worthy and valuable now, all of us, not just parts of us, but all of us. The full expression of our life and experience is valuable and worthy. And some of it may not be serving us now the way we would like it to. Some of it might not be giving us what we would like. And there's value in that as well. All of us is worthy of acceptance. I know that personally that was a revelation to me. Coming from a high demand religion where there were acceptable parts of ourselves and parts of ourselves that were not acceptable, that were of Satan, that were worldly, that were ungodly, I learned to mask and disassociate with those parts of myself. And it really led to a lot of disordered ways of going about growth and change. And so it was interesting to hear that older version of myself speak to 41-year-old me right now and say, remember my love, that growth that comes from a sense of loving yourself will always be uplifting, will always be expansive, will always be kind and gentle. And that growth that comes from a place of chasing worthiness, will never be enough. My older self, that's what she communicated to me. And I found it so profound and I wanted to share it with you. When that came to me at the beginning of December, I knew this would be my first podcast at the beginning of the new year. Because I know I'm not alone in this. I know that I'm not the only person who has made goals for the new year before, hoping to then be worthy at some point this year. I know I'm not the only person that has said, when I lose 20 pounds, then I'll be worthy to wear that outfit, or then I'll be worthy to go on this girl's trip, or then I'll be worthy to eat this food. I know I'm not the only person that has ever said, when I book this many clients, then I can take myself seriously in my work or when I make this much money or when I get this promotion. I know I can't be the only person that has ever said when I have this many kids or when I have healed this much pain or when I don't experience this any longer, then I'm worthy of connecting with friends and having community or having a deeper relationship with someone I love. And I know that for many of us coming from high-demand religions with high-demand families, there's this sense of, if I can just do it right, then somehow at some point I will be worthy of my parents' love and belonging or someone else in our lives, love and belonging. And I want to say very lovingly 
that it doesn't work that way. I understand why we yearn to achieve and to heal and to have in order to feel like we're enough. I understand why we seek externally for things to fill that self-acceptance gap inside of ourselves. We've been trained to be that way. We've been trained to believe that we're not enough. And it's not just our parents' fault. It's not just religion's fault. It's societally That's in the culture. You hear it all around you right now in January. When I listen to my social media feed right now in January, when I listen to everything that's in the media, it's no wonder that so many of us are looking for that next beauty product, that next diet, that next coaching program that's going to make us feel better because we're taught that we're not enough as we are. And honestly, it's a brilliant marketing strategy. If we're taught that we're not enough and that there's some program out there that's going to fill that need, finally fill that gap, finally help us feel like we're acceptable and worthy, then it's easy for people to benefit and profit off of our self-disapproval, off of our self-loathing. And we see that societal pressure the most, I believe, in January. When people talk about this new diet food or this new gym membership or these new clothes you can wear that will make you feel better about yourself, this new skincare regimen, this new educational program that you can take. Now, I'm not saying that using these products is bad per se. That's so simplistic, so black and white, right? To say this is good and this is bad. What I am saying is when we're using external things, whether it's the validation of others or whether it's products, if we're using that to fill this gap we have inside of ourselves for self-acceptance, for self-compassion, for self-love, then it becomes a bottomless pit that can't be filled because we never arrive. When our self-worth is based on other people promoting us, other people choosing to be in a relationship with us, how other people perceive our beauty, our weight, our age, our contribution, when we're looking outside of ourselves to be filled up, it's never enough. Because when we achieve the thing, that only lasts for a moment. Achievement, the thrill of achievement, that little spark we get inside of ourselves, it only lasts for a moment. And then we need another hit to make ourselves feel better again. When we're looking outside of ourselves, we're always chasing our next hit of approval from others. And so, as my older self said to my current self, the secret is to accept yourself now. To understand that you are worthy of love, belonging, success, rest, celebration, sex, all the things right now, you are worthy of them right now. I want you to let yourself sit with that. Like I let myself sit with that back in December. Allow yourself to contemplate 
what that would feel like to believe you are worthy of all of the things right now. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. How would your New Year's goals change if you didn't have to prove anything to anyone? How would your intentions for your life this year change if it wasn't about filling that gap inside of you, but instead showing yourself that you love yourself? doing things for yourself from a place of love and acceptance already. When you believe that you're worthy of love, belonging, and acceptance now, you're more willing to listen to what your body needs, to what you need to feel happy and expanded. You're more willing to listen to the cues from yourself that say, hey, this isn't working for us. And you're willing to move with that and to honor yourself because self-acceptance is the path to self-trust as well. When we accept all of ourselves, we're willing to listen to all of the messages, all the parts of us, and then we're willing to take action to meet the needs of those different parts. And that builds a sense of self-trust. So, for instance, if this year you're feeling yourself say, hey, I've been feeling tired and sluggish, I've been feeling maybe a little depressed because of everything that's been going on for the last couple of years. Instead of beating yourself up with shame about everything you should have done so that you didn't get to that point of feeling that way, you can ask yourself, okay, what do you need to feel better? How can I love you better? Do you need your toes in the grass? Do we need to move our body more? What kind of movement would feel good to you? We come at this from a place of how can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I appreciate you and celebrate you? Instead of how can I torture you and bend you to my will? When we're coming at our New Year's resolutions from a place of self-loathing, it's all about punishing ourselves until we get back in line. The reason punishing ourselves until we get back in line doesn't work is it creates something called a shame cycle. I want you to think about it. When you come at your New Year's resolutions from a place of, I have to do X, Y, Z in order to be lovable and valuable, it creates a sense of motivation at first, right? You get that burst of motivation of, okay, I'm going to do better this time. This year, I'm really going to do it. But as you're shaming yourself, over time, that builds up and it begins to feel bad. Now, what do we do when we begin to feel difficult feelings? We often reach for our numbing and our coping patterns. The very things usually that we're trying to change with our New Year's resolutions. We reach for the comfort food. We sit and we scroll social media. We sit and we mindlessly watch TV. We engage in reckless sex. We let our house get completely disorganized. We go on wild shopping sprees or spend too much money. We do things that feel like self-sabotage, but actually what they are are numbing mechanisms. There are things that we do in order to disengage from our difficult feelings, and shame is the most difficult feeling. So 
when we come at our New Year's resolutions from a place of shame, of a place of not enoughness, it creates a vicious cycle. It creates what we're always talking about with New Year's resolutions. It's the reason that so many of us give up and go back to our bad behavior sometimes as early as the day after we've started our resolution. There's also perfectionism and all of those things, but so often what's going on is we have a sense of shame. We're trying to accomplish something sheerly through motivation to make the shame go away, and we're shaming ourselves in order to make that shame go away. We're using that sense of self-loathing to motivate us. The more we dwell on the self-loathing, the worse it feels. So we reach for our old friends, our coping and numbing patterns. And before we know it, we've broken our resolution because so often our coping and numbing patterns are the very things that we're tired of engaging with. And then we feel weak, we feel defeated, we feel powerless, and we give up altogether. And then the next new year rolls around and we repeat the same pattern. We feel not enough. We shame ourselves into motivation in order to whip ourselves into shape. We use those negative self-abusive voices in our head to try to whip us up into shape. We use all the shoulds and the musts and those expectations that have been put on us and we come at ourselves from a place of lack and it feels awful and around and around and around the cycle goes. And that's part of the reason we are talking about this today because I believe there's a better way. So first let's understand how we got here. We weren't born with negative voices about ourselves in our head. These are behaviors we learned. It may have started with a parent criticizing you or a teacher shaming you or a sibling that bullied you, or it may have come from just being in a collective space where we watched people shame others or where we watched them shame themselves. And for many of us from high demand religion, that really resonates. I have many clients that said no one actually said anything bad to them personally, but they watched how other people were treated. People who were outside the group, people who had different ideas, people who didn't fit the mold, and that alone created shame for them. Or they watched their own parents or siblings shame themselves for their own perceived shortcomings and failures and ways that they didn't fit what was acceptable. And so they picked up those messages and internalize them. Now, I want us to understand that so often we're told that that negative voice inside our head is the enemy, and it's not. That voice inside of our head developed as a protective mechanism. That self-loathing, negative self-talk that you have going on in your head as hurtful and shameful and as poisonous as it feels to our systems, it's trying to protect you. Now, not very well, but it developed as a protective mechanism. It tried to protect you usually in one of two ways, but I'm sure there are more that I'm not thinking of. One of the first ways is it kept your behavior in line so you wouldn't be publicly shamed and you'd be able to keep your place in the group. If you saw that other people were ostracized or cut off or disowned, or shunned 
because of something that they did or if they were publicly humiliated. You may have developed negative self-talk around those things so that you didn't ever become that person who was shunned or cut off or publicly humiliated. That negative voice was ever vigilant to make sure you didn't break those rules so you wouldn't find yourself in that position. The second thing it tries to do is to give you a sense of control, especially if you were in a very critical household or in a very critical religion, you may have developed a negative voice in order to have a sense of control over the criticism. Because if you criticize yourself first, the thinking often goes, then others who notice those things, others who criticize them, the criticism won't feel as heavy or as painful because you've already noticed it. You've already punished yourself for it. So anything they say doesn't have as much of an edge. Now, you and I both know that that's not how it works. We get the pain first from criticizing ourselves, and then when others notice the same thing, it hurts again, and it reinforces the negative voice we have inside of our head. But it developed as a protective mechanism, hoping that it would minimize the hurt of criticism from others. Both of these strategies were trying to protect us from pain, but often they brought more pain than they protected us from. We may have felt sheltered from the group's judgment, but now we had to endure a hyper-vigilant negative voice that lived with us 24-7. And that felt infinitely worse. Now, not only did we not feel safe in the group, but we didn't feel safe in our own skin. And once we get to that place where we have that negative voice, and I will tell you that I believe most of us, if not all of us, have a negative voice inside of our head that tries to protect us from shame, from ostracization, and from humiliation. Most of us were not raised to be shame resilient. Most of us were taught to be conformative through shame. And so most of us have this negative voice inside of our head. Now things are starting to change. We're starting to understand shame more. We're healing and we're able to teach our kids and our students shame resilience. We're able to teach them how to identify shame messages and to push back against them and rewrite them. But most of us and most of our parents and all of our grandparents did not understand shame. We didn't understand the long-term effects of it. We didn't understand its connection to depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. And we didn't understand its connection to narcissism. We didn't understand its connection to enmeshment and codependency, to emotional abuse, to racism, misogyny, and so many of the ills in our society that go back to this sense of shame and needing to fill that gap. The good news is, however, if these are learned behaviors, they can be unlearned. Now, the longer we've been using these patterns as a way to protect ourselves, the longer it takes to undo them. But that's okay. They can be undone. And every time we undo a little bit of it, we gain more freedom. We gain more of an ability to grow from a place of expansion and adventure and excitement instead of a desire to be approved of. So today what we're going to talk about is how do we start to undo those things? How do we start to be kinder to ourselves this new year as we explore where we want to grow and what would feel good to us? The first thing we're going to do in order to create more self-acceptance is actually going to sound a little counterintuitive. But it comes from Nell Stankers, who's a PhD at KU Leuven 
in the Netherlands, and she headed up a study in 2013 that talked about overcoming this negative voice and allowing ourselves to feel more self-acceptance. They found that most of us do one of two things with our negative voice. Either, first of all, we're completely unaware of it. It just works in our subconscious, and we don't even know that it's going on. So that's the first thing. Most of us are completely asleep to our negative voice. Or if we're awake to our negative voice, we fight against it. We resist it. We shame it. We try to ostracize it. But remember, we're trying to cultivate self-acceptance. That means that all of us is acceptable. All the parts of us, even the ones that are dysfunctional and maybe not bringing us what we want, all of it is welcome at the table. That includes our negative self-critical voice. Remember, it's trying to protect you. As dysfunctional as it is, it's trying to protect you. The more we resist it, the louder it gets, like a toddler throwing a tantrum. The more it comes back to try to give you the message, and then the more you're trying to fight it off, the more time and energy it's taking from you. So the very first thing this researcher recommends is to first acknowledge your critical voice. Listen to whose voice it's in. Maybe it's a parent's voice. Maybe it's a teacher's voice. What does that voice sound like? Make it distinct from you. Create some separation. It is part of you, but it is not all of you. We all have all these different parts of ourselves, right? What does that part, what's its personality? What is it trying to do for you? What voice does it speak in? What does it look like? Write down what it says or speak it out loud. Make it as conscious as possible. Let it know that you're taking into account what it's saying. Remember, all the parts of us just want to be heard. They all just want to be given a voice. So write it down. Let it know that you acknowledge what it's saying. When we acknowledge what difficult parts of us are saying, they get quieter because they've delivered their message. But here's where I find the most transformation happens is when we're able to then reframe the message, knowing that this voice is trying to protect you in a very twisted way. How can you extract that self-protective message and make that the message instead? So let's say you have negative self-talk going on in your head, saying something like, Oh, you idiot, you're always talking over other people. Blah, blah, blah. It's always about you. That was one of my own internal self-messages that I carried around for a long time. Reframing that into my value is to actively listen to others and to validate their needs as well as be seen and heard myself. Really reminded me that I'm working towards active listening that I'm working towards being there for others, but that I also had permission to show up and talk and to be seen myself. Now, I'm still working with that. That gets to be tweaked as you go. I think my first one was, I'm allowed to talk whenever I want to talk. But that didn't quite line up with what I wanted. It felt better than, you're an idiot, you talk over everyone. It was nice to first give myself permission of, I get to talk, I get to have a voice. But then that evolved to, I get to talk and they get to talk. And now it's more of, I actively listen to others. 
I am genuinely concerned about their life and I want to hear what people have to tell me and I want the same for myself. I get to speak and be heard. So you get to evolve with these messages. Try something on, see what fits, tweak what doesn't fit. The second thing that was so helpful this past year is celebrating more. So often, we become prey to a natural human condition called negativity bias. We dwell on the negative twice as much. And this was actually an evolutionary thing that we developed because it helped us survive as a species. When we noticed what was negative, we were able to stay away from it and survive better. And the people that survived passed that genetically on to their offspring. So we pay attention much more to criticism. We pay attention much more to our failures. We pay attention much more to the things that didn't go well, our losses. And we are hardwired this way. But we can overcome this hardwiring by making sure that we take time every single day to celebrate what went well. I woke up and I got dressed this morning. Celebration for me. I moved forward on that dream of mine. Celebration for me. I drank the full gallon of water. Celebration for me. I went to the gym. Whether you moved or not. You went to the gym. You sat in the parking lot for five minutes. If that's an improvement for you, celebration for you. I wanted to use old shame mechanisms with myself, but I caught myself and used self-compassion instead. Celebration for you. Since negativity sticks with us twice as long, we need to work harder to make positivity stick. This is why I find it so helpful if we'll create a ritual in which we are dwelling on what went right, dwelling on our enoughness, dwelling on our worthiness, dwelling on the things we've overcome, the lessons we've learned, the progress we've made. You are worthy of celebration now. You're worthy of acceptance, you're worthy of belonging, you're worthy of success, and you're worthy of celebration now. Too often, we're in the habit of only celebrating the big things, only celebrating the big achievements. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, those last for a split second. We celebrate the thing for a day, maybe two. And when our self-worth is based on those achievements, we then start hunting for more more and more and more. Where's that next hit? Where's that next fix? Learning to celebrate the daily, learning to look for the positive is going to fill your cup now and keep you in that mode of acknowledging how worthy you are now. I hope as we move forward, we remember our worthiness. We celebrate all of the small wins There is so much to celebrate each day, even on the bad days. We can acknowledge the bad that happened. We can acknowledge the challenges. And we can acknowledge that we're still alive facing those challenges. We can acknowledge that our heart is still beating, that we are still awake, that we are still pushing through, that we're still looking for solutions, that we're still learning, still growing. Those are all worthy of celebration. I look forward to hearing about your progress with this on the Facebook group. Emancipate Yourself is the name of the Facebook group. If you want more help with feeling at home in your body, 
please go check out the Emancipate Yourself app. It's both on Google and Apple. The first seven days is a free trial. You can try it out for free. There's two courses on there right now. The first one is a mind-body connection course that's going to really help you get in touch with your inner wisdom. It's going to help you start mapping your emotions, and those emotions are going to help you start mapping towards these subconscious thoughts that we talked about, the ones that get in the way of us feeling worthy and feeling like we're enough. If this is something you struggle with, I really recommend that you go check that out. Or if you're really trying to dig into your identity now that you've deconstructed, who am I? What do I want? What do I believe? The next course that builds on the mind-body course is called Reclaim Your Identity. And it is all about using that mind-body connection you learn about in the first course to dig into what do I value? What do I believe? What is supportive to me? What do I like and don't like? What do I want and what do I want to release and how do I do that? So those first two courses have been highly helpful for dozens and dozens of people now. Several of my one-to-one clients have used these principles as well. And I am actually currently working on a third course that talks about the art of becoming. This idea of understanding the process of how we get out of old patterns and allow ourselves to phase into new patterns. Growth is something that I think a lot of us misunderstand. We expect that we're going to change our mind and snap. We're going to be the new person tomorrow. That definitely happens at the new year. So if that's something that you're looking forward to, that will be released in February, but I am currently working on it right now. So please go check out the seven-day trial. Join us on the Facebook group. Make sure you sign up for the newsletter. Lots of things are going to be coming, and I'm so excited to share them with all of you. I look forward to your feedback. If there's ever anything you're like, I need a tool for this, please let me know. I and a group of mental health professionals are working together this year to bring you as many tools as we possibly can to help you continue to deconstruct and reconstruct a life that supports you and nourishes you and expands you and makes you feel so hopeful about the future. I look forward to being on this journey with you this year in 2022. I look forward to all that I'm going to learn, the difficulties I know I will face and overcome, And I look forward to having new insights and new understanding about myself and about life and about religious deconstruction and about everything that comes after that. Thank you for being on this journey with me. Thank you for all of your insight. This podcast is able to be broadcast because of my interactions with you. And I appreciate them so much. So thank you for being here with me. I look forward also to sharing with you all of the many wonderful interviews I have set up for this year on all different topics. So not only will I be bringing you my insight, but insight from experts who are working in fields that either have to do with religious deconstruction or are issues that are adjacent to religious deconstruction that kind of dovetail with it. So stay tuned for all of that. It's going to be a really fun year. And I look forward to everything that's coming. 
Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next week.